Everybody, welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm Vanessa Raglan. Hello, Vanessa Raglan. Hi, Cole. How's it going? I'm doing fine. How are you? Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> we are on fire over here at PMC Central. Uh, great guest today. Oh, I can't wait. I really can't wait. Yeah, he's been in a bajillion things on television and in film. He's mooch beloved. Yeah, but he's already the strongest man in the world on Pete and Pete, oh, gosh. first and foremost. Uh, John Bosworth on Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, he's uh, Khan and Cotton on uh, King of the Hill. Tons of other stuff. Um, so, so much we'll stuff. Delve into that. Such a like v- completely versatile actor. Yep. It's really exciting. He's really great. So that's Toby Huss. Can't wait to and talk we will, to him. Uh, get to him momentarily, and you can hear those credits once again when I say them. Then. Oh my gosh, you guys! That'll be so fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> fun for all of us. It's for the person out there that commented that we don't say enough about what they've done, even though I think we always do. But whatever. <laughs> um, guys, a little bit, a tiny bit of housekeeping before we uh, get to our guest. If you like the show, go to iTunes, leave us a review. Five stars. This rocks with a W. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, those reviews help us to get featured and things in there too. Yeah. And shows that we're not just talking into a vacuum. You can also email us info at popmyculturepodcast.com. We read them all, we'll write you back. Guest suggestions always welcome, um, as well as anything else. Just say anything. hello. Anything. Let us know that Anything. Be a lifeline. <laughs> Be my lifeline. Oh, boy, Regis. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, primarily can, listener yeah, supported. That's what I was going to say, that's too. That's a thing. You can go to our website, which is popmyculturepodcast.com, and there's a little donate button in the top right, and you could click that. And then, and then siphon and your then life continue, savings. Continue to yeah. do the instructions. Don't just click it and think you're done. No, no, no. It's you got to fill in your whole it's not bank like Amazon, number. Amazon, one gotta, click, whatever. Oh, yeah. Amazon's making it real easy to be the worst person ever. Just like lazy. But you should not be lazy. You should go to our website, use those clicky, clicky muscles, and give a little gift. It will really help us uh, to keep going and cover some costs and make us feel validated. (laughs) We'll give you a shout-out on a future podcast, um, which we'll probably do our shout-outs next pod, I think. Oh, my gosh. Um, So, yeah, that's good, I think. Yeah, I think it is, Let's get to our guest, shall we? All right, here we go. Talk to you in a second. Uh, Our guest today, well, he is an awesome actor. You know him from things like, well, uh, Pete and Pete, already the strongest man in the world, uh, Halt and Catch Fire, King of the Hill, Carnival. Toby Huss is here. Hey, Toby. Hi, Hi, Toby Huss. Thanks for coming over. Sure, sure. Sure, I was in the neighborhood. Oh, good. <laughs> we were just outside passing out podcast flyers, just hoping somebody... Yeah. I was down on Melrose it. buying some tight pants. Oh, that's the place <laughs> yeah, to do it, with a yeah. nice low crotch. <laughs> that's what's happening in the shop windows right now. You know, that's the thing I've seen, that, like the crazy low one that's like below the yeah, knees. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's awful. That's not a look for a man. No, I, I think it's not a look for anyone. It's, it's not a look for a woman it's either. It's impractical. It's a duty diaper. It's, I don't know, but maybe that's the, maybe that's the reaction we to... Don't. Yeah. Pants with regular crotches. Maybe that's the real. Finally, we're maybe rebelling. that's the real <laughs> punk rebellious. Maybe we're trying to replicate the look of somebody who gets caught in an outhouse in the 1800s with their long johns, kind of near their, oh. you know, gets knocked over, and they come out and like whoa, like, and there's and they've shit their long johns, yeah, yeah. which huge, is the heavy lotus, yeah, yeah, old Midwest shits in their long johns, no. 
That's the new. That's the new fashion forward. That's trend, what's guys. good. <laughs> they always take what's old and make it new. That's where we're going with it. Yuck! <laughs> Gross. What a depressing that's beginning. A, that's not a bad start to a podcast, right? Right. I don't know. No. I don't know if you've heard many podcasts, but I don't feel that's yeah, a good no, start. People start talking about shit and pants. What? What kind, the of, first five what kind of podcast is this? I got to turn this off. It's shitless. Well, great. <laughs> no, only, thank only you. Only forty-eight more minutes. To go. Let's hope they take a dump somewhere. There's got to be somebody listening who's like, finally, thank God they had the bravery to cover this. Yeah. I've been yeah. waiting. 200 episodes. We're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> That's what it is? Oh, man. He's got to rearrange The Lord works in mysterious ways, okay? <laughs> you tell you. Well, let's start with this. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven on Stranger Things. Did, did you watch the Stranger Things? I watched movie? the Stranger Things, yeah. Supposedly, uh, her dad is kind of being a nightmare right now and is going around and uh, asking different managers and agents who want to represent her to pay him $100,000 down. In real life. In real yeah. life. Huh. That's a stranger thing. To, to do, to, for why? To, the re- privilege to, rep to represent her. For the privilege her. of having her on their team. That's a nice move, man. Yeah, if anybody will buy good yeah. faith. If anybody takes it. But then you'd have to, because you can start at $100,000, but then, you know, you're going to be down to twenty pretty quick. Yeah. Not $20,000, 20 <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go, fuck it, you're just going to, dude, seriously, though, I know it's just you and me here getting lunch at Johnny Rockets up the street, but... Just pay, just pay for my lunch, and I'll sign up with you guys. All right, just $20 an hour. That's what it's going to be. Don't tell anyone. But I think that's a good move. Any move that can sort of, sort of, uh, um, Take the shit out of the pants. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? Clean up the pants. If, if Raise the crotch. I think if there's something that you can upend that dyna- that power dynamic that, that agents have, yeah, sure. Why not? Who cares? Right. Yeah. You know? It is weird to think about because she's so young, like all those kids. Just the shaved it. head kid? Yeah. 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 That's what they call her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spin-off. Baldy Magoo over there. Oh, Baldy Magoo. <laughs> I mean, uh, but... Yeah, it's got to be a weird world to navigate. That fame is so intense. Like, the popularity of that show is so huge. You want to protect your kid, I would hope. But Yeah, but it's not popular everywhere. like 20 years ago, man. That's just popular now. So that popular now goes away real quick. Yeah. It doesn't yep. stay forever. So that's the problem. Is that daddy going daddy gonna to shorten that girl's shelf life? <laughs> daddy going to do bad things. <laughs> daddy probably already done some bad things. <laughs> Well, it's also like the first season was, I, I liked it a lot. A lot of people did. But yeah. so season two, like it's the expectations are going to be through the roof. So if it's nowhere near as close in people's minds, like all of a sudden the hottest thing becomes, you know, true detective season two is what it becomes. Mm. And that Aww. thing, you know, yeah. died a horrible death. And now they might not even do a three. I mean, that's all those things that are happening. So I hope he's smart and gets her someplace good and they get her other stuff because she's got chops like she's, she's great really expressive and great on that show she's bald she's, yeah she doesn't have her hair to do the acting for her yeah, yeah like yeah. all these other starlets in this town yeah the sure. soulless town sure, full sure. of hair how old's that kid like a kid i think kid aged 15 14 yeah, less like, I, think. I think she's like really? 13 or 14 somewhere five yeah i think she's five. she's five she's, oh, she's really good Goodness. she's all five i don't know how old she is but she's young um Maybe 11. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. boy, I see what you did there. I'm sorry. Because that's her character's role. Yeah. Nicely played. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the, another Netflix show, Luke Cage, just premiered, uh, just dropped, as it were, since that's kind of how it works now on Netflix. They just go, here you go. And yeah. it's just all there for you whenever they decide to drop it. 
and people have been binge watching it and you know it's, it's been doing rather well for itself but of course because nothing good can just exist um <laughs> there are people that are upset because there are no white people in it because it's a but a black superhero in brooklyn right so uh heaven forbid gosh i wonder what that i haven't seen like. it yeah i haven't seen it either i <laughs> but there's no sad. white folk in it huh evidently not <laughs> i think you should tweet about that <laughs> yeah yeah tweeting uh, tweeting solves a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of a uh, bit of a backlash which is so weird to me That's because so, it's so sad it's the backlash oh, oh there, there we go, go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are we upset about? That there's no white folk in it? It's weird. It's I like, think saying white folk makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> or is it there's no white folk in it because because we we want to be able to control that discussion, right? Of course. I don't know if the audience knows, but I'm white. Oh, I think they know. Oh, do they? Yeah. All right. We led with that before you came in. Okay. This is an all white. Our guest podcast. today is white. You know from you guys should you guys should make that known because it's on the, the podcast and you can't tell these things. It's That's true. true. You know, it's very true. You guys should get. You got to lead you with guys race. Should go racial forward, yeah, <laughs> and backwards at the same time. Our Chinaman guest is here <laughs> from. He was not from China. But he's got that heritage. Right. Now, you might not be able to tell from his voice. No, but I think that's it. It's about control, right? It's, it's, they, they want to say, look, if you're not going to have any white folk on your show, just talk to us first. So <laughs> we can white then, folk. <laughs> so then we can, you know, have some dialogue with you about that. I mean, we appreciate the fact that you're making this decision. It's you like know. when people get mad, and I do mean the white folk, get mad about a peaceful protest because it's like somehow disruptive. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Well, Take it away! <laughs> wow. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Halt and Catch Fire, which is a great show and a period piece, um, as it is in the, I think, 83 is where it kicks off. It starts, yeah, the first season starts in 83. 83. Now we're up to 86? Something, like, yeah. something, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty fascinating because, you know, I was... I don't know, seven, eight years old when that stuff was happening. I was born in 76. So, you know, I, the 80s were my childhood, so I mm-hmm. definitely remember fiddling with computers and all that stuff. Um, but just to see kind of the inner workings of how that stuff came to be and the early coding and all that stuff, yeah, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Um, so for you, I mean, you, you're a little older than us, um, so I think you're like a teen in the 80s, right? Mostly. Yeah, I graduated high school in 83. 83, mm-hmm. right. So you're right around the time when that stuff would become like you'd be like Mackenzie Davis's ish age when she's kind of programming on that. Yeah, thing. yeah. What was it like? I mean, could, for you to have some some memory of that of that period or something, and these other people who uh, are a bit younger. I mean, Lee Pace not necessarily, but Mackenzie and that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, what was it like? Like dealing with? Did they ask you anything on that or, or detail stuff for them? Not not really. So I'd talk with Mackenzie about music now and again and the kind of, you know, the punk rock I was listening to. But, you know, that sort of stuff they all did on their own. Her yeah. and uh, Carrie were really good about it. And everybody, too. You know, Scoot and Lee, we were all pretty good about whatever. If you were in a scene that had that touched on technology, then you had to know what that was. And we had some, you know, we had some technical advisors the first year as technical guy was on it the whole time. And uh, we just ask him little questions here and there about, so wait, if I turn that mm-hmm. on, but then, because it was pretty rudimentary stuff that we were getting into initially when, when uh, Joe first comes to Cardiff. So it was interesting. But yeah, those guys were pretty up on it. They were up and running pretty quick on it, those two. You know, the two girls, Carrie and Mackenzie. 
You're pretty smart. Nice. What stuff were you listening to around that time? Oh, all this shit that's funny, all the stuff that they mm-hmm. have in the in the show. Like, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I, got, I took my McDonald's money and I would go buy punk rock records at co-op records at Tape in Marshalltown, Iowa. And, nice. And wow. would get records because I liked the cover. I didn't know the bands cause there was no, <laughs> because there was no information. If you know right, the yes. band, so I, there was a group called The Jam that I'd never heard of. I'd heard of The Clash, but I got a Clash record and The Jam and Ultravox I'd never heard of and The Stranglers and Sham 69 and nice. uh, The Ruts and The Skids and The Lurkers and those guys. I didn't know who those guys were. And The Undertones, I didn't know who they were. So I started buying up those records. And XTC, I remember I got a book somewhere that had something about X, an XTC record. And I went, XTC, that sounds interesting. And they had a great cover. So I got that. So I just buy them off the covers. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a real yeah. connoisseur. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's kind of the way to do it, unless you're spinning it in the store that you're in. You're like, what's this? Otherwise, you're just kind of Yeah, it was, it was a head shop, man. It was a local head shop out of Des Moines, I think. Co-op records and tapes. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they sold a bunch of pipes. Did you end up, like, connecting? I, I have some friends. One of my best friends is from West Virginia, and mm. punk was her kind of first introduction to, like, activism and... Just like a different world outside of the little world yeah. she was in. And then like she started going to shows and stuff, and that kind of led her into the like creative person that she is now. Was it a gateway to community for you, or just like something you did on your own? It was. There was no one to do it with. There was another dude in high school, but there were no shows. We had no access to any live yeah. punk shows in Marshalltown. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't do any of that. Now and again, like, you know. Adam and the Ants came and they played Des Moines and Elvis Costello played Des Moines. The Talking Heads saw the Talking Heads in Des Moines. That oh, was cool. fun. But like, you know, you didn't have any access to that until you got to college. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, socially in uh, New York, when I moved to New York after that, you met people sort of that were in that world. And it's like, oh, my people are out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go find your people where you go. Yeah. Yeah, if they're there. How big was is Marshallton uh, town? Is it? Is it? Like, it's about twenty five thousand people. Okay, so as a kid, it's not a tiny town, right? You know, it's not that big, but it's. And we had one high school, right? Yeah, that's cool. Do you have a? What was your first job there? Did you have a paper route? That kind of thing. I did. I had a Des Moines Register paper route. Oh wow! <laughs> and then I had a Marshalltown Times Republican paper route. Whoa! And then painted schools one summer and detasseled corn and. Detasseling and, uh, corn is a job. Yeah, it's nasty. <laughs> yeah, detasseling corn is it's shit work, but it pays good money because you work like 14 hours a day. Oh, my God. You Jesus. know, and did that, and then, uh, yeah, I worked at a grocery store, worked McDonald's? at a Hy-Vee. Worked at McDonald's, worked at the Hy-Vee. Yeah. What's Hy-Vee? Hy-Vee, that's the, that's the wonderful <laughs> Iowa grocery out? store chain. You know, and you'll see it now and again. You'll see a, a billboard like at a uh, Kansas City Royals game, maybe, in the background. Hy-Vee is a Midwest. You know, it's like a, the Piggly Wiggly of the Midwest. Oh, yes. My you family know. was from Tennessee. My great-grandma There was a guy named Hyde. Like, <laughs> I think he had, maybe his, was it two, the two guys' first names? I don't know. It was High and V, yeah. High V. Yeah, yeah. Rolls yeah, off man. the tongue. Got it. Put yeah, it on a yeah. score. Yeah. Yeah, see, I'm, I grew up in Michigan, so it was Meyer for us. That was like our kind of thing. There you go, yeah, yeah. Myers. But yeah. I also had a paper out when I came out to California and Davis. That's where I also grew up after I was nine. Yeah. I had a Davis Enterprise route and the Woodland 
Democrat, I think is what it was called. Yeah. This is so idyllic. Were you guys bike riding paper routers? Or? I did. On the Times Republican, I bike ride, but Des Moines Register was a morning paper, so I'd get up at like, sometimes I ride my bike, but it was close enough to my house that I could just run. Oh, wow. So I just ran and threw those papers around. It's and like in the America. winter, it was, yeah, in the winter, it was off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. thankfully, I, was, I had the California route, so we get, <laughs> get kind of cold in the yeah. mornings, like in like the Sunday edition when it was like a 5 a.m. deliver or whatever. Yeah. That man. was cold. And then everyone's like, your parents into driving you around and throwing them, but rarely. Um, I remember one time I got, I hated the, the, the enterprise route was good because everybody got the enterprise because it was Davis. So like it was, you know, every other house or whatever. Whereas the Woodland Democrat, Woodland is like 15 minutes away from Davis. So people in Davis that got it were few and far between. It would yeah. be like one per big street if. So you you deliver 30 papers, but you'd be drive you know, you'd be biking around like eight, 10 miles or right. something, throwing these things around. And then the guy that would drop them off, like, were these two girls that worked for the Bud was the guy that, like, was making my boss, Bud. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd have to go and collect. It was in those times, too, you know, not yeah, nice yeah. auto build or whatever. But I remember one time they dropped off a big stack of the papers on our sprinkler heads. Just that's where they dropped them off. The yeah, sprinklers sure. came on, so the papers were ruined. Right. So they had to bring more papers out. They did that. And then he deducted the papers from my pay. Oh. Like, it was my fault that they went and literally, instead of putting them yeah. anywhere else, well, put them Bud's on a sprinkler. Well, Bud's a businessman. Somebody's got to pay. Yeah, so take it out of the Your hands of a, shit. You know, an 11-year-old or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Make that kid pay. That's right. But, yeah, I remember biking in the morning and just, like, having to chuck them. And I was little, too, so it was heavy for me when that Aww. bag was full. Yeah, Because yeah. you had to roll them. You would get them and roll them and rubber band them up, and the newsprint would get all over your fingers. So your hands would just be, like, black by the time you were done with it. Cool, and you gotta have kids so you can tell them these. <laughs> and it was uphill both ways, and there was glass everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then the collecting sucked too, because you'd have to go door to door periodically and collect money. And half the time they wouldn't have it, or they would push you off somehow. And then you know, Bud would be like, "You gotta go get that money, kid." And it's like, yeah. Bud sounds like the king of the junkyard. I don't like yeah. Bud. Yeah, Bud was not cool. <laughs> if you're listening to this, Bud, <laughs> have you been? Uh, it's hard though to, to to I don't know. I don't think the cool guys said, you know, I wanna. I want to run a team of children to deliver papers. I, I think that was labor that loophole. That was the cool guys. I think, I think those were by and large. That was the plan B or C. I don't know. Fucking paper out. Yeah. Did I still do that? I, I hired the weak kids. <laughs> so how did you go about getting the role of John Bosworth? Because it's he's like a Texan. Which is yeah. not exactly what I picture you as, yeah. but uh, you're great in the role. How did how did that process go? I just auditioned for it. It yeah. was, um, yeah, I saw a lot in the role. I thought it was kind of great. And then just went in, and <clears throat> it was me and a few other guys. There were three other guys I think that they looked at for the role, and I was clearly the <laughs> I was clearly the other choice. <laughs> what you know? was the the, the guys more? were they were they were older than me. I got the role when I was what forty. Seven or something like that. For yeah, like forty-seven or something, or forty-eight. And the other guys were clearly in the late, mid, late fifties, mm-hmm. and they were, they were sort of taller, more professional-looking men, <laughs> you know. And a lot of them had good hair, and they were. One was ruggedly handsome, and another one was just tall and sort of businessy-looking. And I imagine they were probably pretty good, but pretty boring. You yeah, know, that yeah. guy. And I went, well, this. This is not a guy to just use one time. It's a great character. Yeah. I saw him as a different character than I think even the writers imagined. They didn't see him sort of the way I was doing him. So I came in and did it, and they went, what? That's got to be so exciting. <laughs> as a, yeah, it was fun, yeah. yeah. But then you don't know, because there's usually, you know, to their 
there's usually voices in the room that go, okay, that was fun. We like the guy who did the other take. We all like him. He's more fun than the <laughs> big forehead Jones who just came up. But we know we got to go with, you know, Bob Forehead. He's our guy. <laughs> and that's the drag. And they always, you know, they usually go with, with that regular sort of conservative choice. So to their credit, um, Chris and Chris and Sharon Bialy, the casting lady, and I even think Melissa Bernstein and some of the people really, really liked what I did. And they really sort of sold me, I think. And then they helped push it, you know, push, push me along. That's great. It's also got to be good, though, when yeah. you know that you're the alternate choice to be like, what do you got to lose? Just like do it. And like it's better than like when you're like with eight other people that are almost the exact same type. And you're like, I don't know, this is a total. Yeah, but you still got to play it like you got nothing to lose because yeah. you, you you do have nothing to lose. Yeah, true, true. You know, you don't know what your life's going to be if you don't get it, you know. So it doesn't matter one way or the other. Um, you want to get it, but you can't. You can't let that influence what you're doing. You can't let. Let yeah. that in, you know. Um, you got to develop a mechanism that to be pretty invulnerable to that shit. Even though, you know, life would be different today if I didn't get it. But you know, I didn't know any better three, four years ago when I did it. Right. right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So pre that, yeah, you have the what well, I will say is an iconic role of Artie, the strongest man in the world. Yeah. Old Artie, which. Considering that we talked about punk records, I feel like Pete and Pete is a punk record show for Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally was. Yeah, from the directors to the actors we got in it, you know? Yeah. Most of them came from doing music videos with, you know, punk guys and bands were going around that time. And, you know, you had Iggy was in it and, what, Evan Dando from the Lemonheads and Stipe was in it, you yeah. know? And Catherine Diekman directed Stipe in this in that shiny happy people video and she was writing about him in you know 1980 and in new music express i think or the voice i think she was the first person to interview him for the voice oh wow you know back in the late 70s early 80s when Catherine was doing that and and you know she directed an episode she knew will or yeah she knew will mcrob in high school oh wow so he tagged her to come direct one of the shows and then she started really working really closely with him and chris and Developing, I mean, those guys developed the show, and it was their show. But Catherine sort of put a real flavor onto the show about uh, she really pumped up Ellen's part in a in a great way and made it this sort of proto feminist kid. It was really smart and great. And without Catherine, I, I don't think it would have been done like that. And Will and Chris were smart enough to listen to her and go, "Oh yeah, that's a, you know." And it was it was great ideas that she had. And then getting. Great directors and, you know, and then getting Kate Pearson from the 52s and getting Stipe and those guys. Catherine was instrumental in that sort of stuff. It's so cool. I mean, that show yeah. is like, that's one of the reasons I think it like totally holds up and will always hold up is yeah. it's kind of like its own little world. It's not it's really magical, yeah. dated by time in yeah. any way. It's like, it's almost, it's got like a punk mentality to yeah. it. Yeah. The whole thing is just like endlessly creative and imaginative, I think is like one of the yeah. best ways to look at it. So for Artie, where did that character come from? Is it something you, you were doing before this show even existed? Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a pair of long johns, these red long john bottoms, 
that had a huge. Speaking of crotches, I was going to say they, we're coming back. But they had, yeah. This, well, this, that's the story, as I've told it before. But they they had a huge crotch in, mm-hmm. and I would pull them up over the crotch was so big I could yank those things up <laughs> over my nipples, and like, and I started doing that to impress this girl named Mary Jo Barry that I was going out with in Iowa City, mm-hmm. and I started doing some muscle man stuff, and I thought that was funny, so I started <laughs> doing it. She'd laugh, and and. Uh, and then there was a performance thing going on at University of Iowa, at University of Iowa at the time called No Shame uh, Theater, which was people that wrote their own sketches, like SNL a bit, but they wrote their own sketches and performed them. And, and I wrote this thing up about this character I did. And I started calling myself the strongest man in the world and didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy, Mark McCrite, who grew up in my hometown. I was good friends with his younger brother, John. We went to high school together. And John and I were the guys who listened to punk rock and hung out. And, 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 but Mark, a couple years older, is an artist. So he was in Iowa City at the time. John was going to Dartmouth. I was back in Iowa City, and I, and Mar- I saw Mark. On- Mark worked at a frame shop across the street from the lesbian restaurant that I worked at in Iowa City. <laughs> and I saw him. I was having a smoke outside, and I said, hey. And, and I said, hey, I'm going to do a show. Come do it. I want you to just hold a big broom, and I'm going to do a bunch of shit and call myself the strongest man in the world and play the piano and try to sing a song and do something very you know, inappropriate and then uh, melancholy. Um, he went, okay. And I said, but I don't have a name for this guy. And, and Mark is a, was an art major at the time. And he went, what about Artie? I went, yeah, that's a great I'll name. Artie's <laughs> a great name. So that's where that all sort of came oh, from. Then awesome. I went to New York. And when I moved to the Lower East Side, I was doing it, a lot of performance there and, and uh, stuff that I wrote. And I did it at some show. Liguizamo was there. He had a spot. I had a spot. I think... Blue Man Group was either the week before or after at this, oh, wow. at this place in New York. Cameron Mannheim was doing something. A bunch mm-hmm. of really interesting folks were doing shit then. And uh, I did this character in Will. I didn't know Will McRobb was in the audience. So I was tending bar at the Knitting Factory on Houston Street. And then a week or so later, a few days later, this dude was just upstairs, just with a huge head and red hair. And, <laughs> and I was setting up chairs. At my miserable uh, bartending job, that wasn't so miserable, but miserable because we made no money. It was the only bartender in in Manhattan to work a, a Friday night and come home with like sixty eight bucks in tips. Oh, it was just terrible. Oh God. Um, but anyway, Will showed up and he said, "Hey, I saw your thing. I'm doing some promos for Nickelodeon about these two brothers named Pete." And uh, I went, "Yeah, okay." So then I got the. He said, "You, you want to do it?" And I said, "Sure." He said, "Maybe we'll go to a series. We don't know, but we're just doing that now." And I went, yeah, okay. So that's how it started. What a that's, I, that's like a perfect yeah. beginning to something, though, because it was good. Yeah, you get to create it, and you've had such a interesting career, and in that you've kind of gotten to do such a wide variety of things. Yeah, like no pigeonholing from being able to be a really intense character actor. I guess everyone's basically a character. But that's actor. a blessing and a curse, though, too, because people, if they think of a certain type for this role in a in a TV show or a film, they'll go after, like, that guy. The guy that and only I show does up, that? they go, well, who the fuck is that guy? Right. <laughs> well, I don't know what the fuck. Why would you get him? He's not like this guy, which is, you know, the thing that really helped me out in Halt and Catch Fire. Right. And the thing that didn't help me out in, like, a hundred films that I've auditioned right. for. <laughs> right. So I guess you can look at it and, you know, it's a you know glass half full and empty thing. And I look at it's half full. I think it's, a, it's just how I am as a performer and I'm not – I'm just – Sort of not the the regular. Uh, I'm not that Bob Forehead guy is going to come in for the 
Bless thing. him. Bob Forehead was a comic in a village voice. Remember that? There's a politician named Bob Forehead. That's great. Yeah, he sort of had, he had great hair. Was it Forehead? I think it was Bob Forehead. Yeah. Did that. It was fucking funny. Yeah. He just said, you know, innocuous dumb shit when he was on the campaign trail. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, so for, like, one of the things I've noticed about Pete and Pete is, you know, we've done a couple of reunions now yeah. at SF Sketchfest and other places, too. Yeah. Uh, you guys are, like, such a tight-knit family. Like, everybody yeah. loves each other, which is so rare. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, you know, there's a handful of shows that are like that, or, you know, but even on most of the shows are still like that. One or two people are like, oh, you guys are dick. Don't invite him. <laughs> but it seems with you guys that there's a genuine affection and love for each other. That when you guys get together to do these things, it's just like this wonderful shared experience with the audience who loved the show and grew up on it and stuff like that. And then you guys that love doing it. And it's just yeah. this amazing atmosphere, which is so rare for stuff. Uh, did it feel that way from the beginning when you guys were doing this thing? I mean, obviously, there, it was an early Nickelodeon show. There wasn't a lot like it. Yeah, we had no frame of reference to that. And it was one of my first gigs, so I had no frame of references to as far as what I was doing. Like, I, like you know. I hope that, and I think they do. I know that Mackenzie and Carrie, you know, Mackenzie didn't do a, a ton of stuff. And Carrie had been around for a little bit, but not, hadn't done like a real series before. And I keep telling them, this is like that Halt and Catch Fire thing. That, this is rare. It doesn't oh. happen. I said, it happened with me and Pete and Pete. And we, like, we didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And then after it was over, we just kept in touch. And I was up at, you know, Catherine just had a film at uh, Toronto. Her film got into Toronto. She just directed. And I was... Uh, driving upstate, whatever, in June, in middle of July, and I stopped at her farmhouse up there with her husband oh. and kids, and saw her, and stopped in and had a cup of Joe, and then got on my way. But it was great. They're That's old, amazing. They're old pals, and you know, and uh, Danny and Michael are always checking in, and Allison has her own her own world going on. She's a mom and a and a. And a doctor. She's a. Yeah. I think she's a pediatrician. Wow. Yeah. She's, oh my gosh. Yeah, she's really smart. She has real talent. <laughs> the rest of us. And Will and Chris. I think they're not working together anymore. But up till you know last year, they were, you know, writing and working together and yeah. developing shows and seeing each other all the time. And now Chris is. Uh, he's he's a development guy over yeah. Nickelodeon. Yeah, yeah. And and Will is is you know writing and doing his thing and and we get together as much as we can. Yeah. And it, but it was. It was part of that time, too. People were, you know, we all came together, and we were all... I'd been in New York for th- three or four years, and and I don't know. We all sort of found each other at the right time. Those things happen sometimes, you know? And the thing I've noticed about Pete and Pete is that either you don't know it or you love it. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. There's it, nobody that goes, eh, whatever. That show is fine. Yeah. I don't ever really hear that. Yeah. No, I mean, that show really, yeah. as a kid, was one of those magical things that, like, you feel like somebody gets you. They weren't, it didn't feel like, like most kids shows, even as a kid, you can tell it's like an adult trying to yeah. be funny for kids. Yeah. And this just felt, like, bizarre and real. Yeah. And as a girl, to see a girl that you wanted to be like on yeah. a show, instead of just, like... The girl is the crush or the dumb person. I don't yeah. know. It was such a magical, nostalgic show, and now we've I've rewatched it because we've had other people on, and it's like it's still funny. Yeah, it's yeah. earnestly funny. I love it's it. It's a so funny much. show, and it was and it was um, pretty out there stylistically, and and the emotional tone of that yeah. show was out there, and and it was out there for when it, for when it came up, and it was a real outlier too, and and I think that's you know. Why we're all friends because we, you know, we just wanted somebody to watch it. We didn't know who was going to watch it. And it turns out sort of 
the kids like you guys that were these sort of maybe outlier kids, little other kids really latched onto the show. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's probably a certain segment of frat boy, you know, who's out in the world running around now that went, ah, that show's kind of shitty. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know about it, you know, and it didn't hit him. And, you know, that's the same with, with you know, it's not the same with most shows, but, you know, a, a show that's that kind of specific, you know, if, if, if you were that kid, you were the target audience. It's how Ellen was cast, I think. Um, Catherine said, I think Catherine was there when they were casting Ellen, and she said that they brought in all these, there were all these actress girls coming in, they were acting, and they were being mm. actresses, and they were acting their shit, and this girl, Ellen, kind of came in and, like, didn't know how to act, didn't kind of really want to be there, and <laughs> sort of mumbling her shit, and Catherine went, yes, that one, that's, that's the, one. the one we get. And Will was right along with that, because that was Catherine when she was young, and that mm. was Will when he was young, and you know, that was me, and that was most of the people who were in the show. Probably Iggy Pop and, you know, Buscemi and, and Janine Garofalo and, you know, whatever nuts. You know, <laughs> Vinny Pastore was probably like that, too. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I guess that's one thing you could say, too, with, like, this and, like, Stranger Things now is, like, they cast real kids in Stranger Things. Like, yeah. that seem like kids. They're, yeah. they're just yeah. so rare, not these actor kids that came out yeah. of the little factory of actor kids and that whole thing. And yeah. that's one it's, thing that people It's need too to bad those fucking, those fucking actor kids are so... And it's you can't hate them, but they're just sort of responding to their, to the, <laughs> to the needs of their parents or the needs of something else in their world, and they yeah. just sort of they've trained themselves to be this thing, and then and then you even see kids that have had a ton of like <laughs> training as a kid actor, and then you watch them how they you can see them sort of throw it away and then try to be human again on the mm. outside, but you want to go oh fucker. It's too late, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know you're nine, and, and you were probably really great before this whole acting yeah. thing hit you. And you're probably a great kid, but as far as technique-wise and what you're doing acting-wise, you go, oh, oh, it's so sad to watch. Well, it's, it's like as, a, as yeah. an actor or a comic or Terrifying. a writer, all you want to do is get back to the earnest place of being a kid, which is like curiosity and feeling things and yeah. feeling, you know, like not caring about what anyone's looking at, but you can train that out of a person. Well, I think, well, yeah, but it's supposed to get, I'm doing a show, I'm doing the show Colony that's a USA show that's actually pretty fun and not a, not a bad show. And I'm having a good time doing it. And, you know, I just got, well, I shouldn't give anything away, but um, (laughs) this isn't giving anything away. So like three weeks ago, I met in North Hollywood somewhere and I have a gun and um, there are these five people lined up on their knees in front of me, and I'm, I have I'm the who's doing your thing, and I have a kind of who's who's the head of your cell, who's leading your mm. you know your terrorist cell, and they don't answer me, and I I shoot three of them in the head, just pow, blast them in the head. It's good to be completely disconnected from from <laughs> feeling anything then, because yeah. that's awful. So yeah. I'm not trying to be. Authentic artist, man. <laughs> I'm trying to be a big phony on a TV show. <laughs> going, blam, blam, blam. It's fucking crazy. You, you guys can't are blam fine. people fine. and do awful shit. <laughs> you know what? Torturing. Some, they brought in some poor girl, and the fucking writer had her had her naked in a torture chair before, and they went, "No, we can't do it." And she went, "I'm gonna be naked." Oh, I have to rewrite it. So they rewrote the part for her. And it's 2016 in these short shorts. And fucking, we tortured her. She's all beaten up. Just fucking awful. Um, but fantastic. Um, 
but but off then back to awful again, and they're shocking her with uh, jumper cables. So they have one jumper cable that they have, I think, you know, you know, clasped onto the metal chair, and the other one they're not pinching it; they just have it closed. But they're holding it on the inside of her thigh, and you go, "Well, that's fucking." Awful. It's just awful. I know you're talking about this wonderfully sort of tone-deaf, fun show. Um, so she's getting chalked, and she's going through it. You're watching. She's a younger, probably like 26 or 28 or something, and she's going through this shit, and she's screaming and crying and yelling and shivering. And she's, oh, fuck. And you want to go, I hope you're not feeling any of this. I hope it's all technique. I hope none of it is real. I don't want to know Please that you're, tell me I don't you're, want to know that you're feeling anything with this. <laughs> and then, but by contrast, like, you know, Halt is the opposite of that. Halt is going back to that route of trying to make this thing as real as possible because that's sort of, you know, what we all signed on for as actors. Uh, initially, when we all got on there, every one of them, you know, Lee and Scoot and Carrie and Mackenzie are all like that. They're all right there. And, if, you know, Lee, for the first year, he was, you know, he wasn't the happiest man in the world because he was playing, a, a, you know, an awful fucking sociopath. And yeah. he would defend him. Like, like you're, supposed, you're supposed to defend your character. And he just, it just, Joe did everything that Lee would never do in the world. And, and Lee's not that kind of a dude. And it was bringing him down. You could watch it happen. And it's, it's, <laughs> sorry, you know, that's your role. It's you know, a great it performance. Sucks, it's a great performance. Yeah. He's a, he's a profoundly talented guy and you know but he's you know he's not shutting it all off he's feeling it he's right there with it you know yeah and he's the biggest advocate of that character and he has to be because it's his character but it's hard to keep keep that up yeah that's that's hard because every character thinks they're right like that's the main thing yeah you have to you you have to if you're a villain you think what you're doing is correct all the time then yeah but every person is like that too yeah we're all the star of our own story trump thinks that what he's doing is exactly what needs to be done he's he's not faking it he he even if he's doing a fakey thing he believes what he's saying he believes what he's doing we got to build that fucking wall that's what he's thinking he believes that to be true he sees no other alternative. <laughs> I mean, he's fucking serious, you know? And in the same way that Hillary's serious, you know, they both believe what they're doing. So everybody acts in the way that they think is the most beneficial to themselves. Even if they act in a way that might hurt themselves, they think for some reason it's what they need what to be doing. What needs to be done, yeah. Right. You know. Mm. <laughs> Being a person. I know, right? Well, you've also done a lot of voiceover work. Which yeah. is a totally different beast. Um, yeah. Like so King of the Hill, which had like 250, 60 episodes. Yeah. Um, which is about to turn 20 next year. Oh. God, that's crazy. That's crazy. That right? is insane. Um, how do you approach voiceover work for you? It's uh, When they bring you character stuff, do you just come up with a voice or like how does it how does it work it's, for you? it's weird man i don't get hired very much i don't get hired at all i'm with a voiceover agent and i go on and i read shit and i never get hired from it <laughs> it always comes i did beavis and butthead for years in new york with mike i met him at a party at an mtv party when i was doing promos back in the 90s and then got me that and they were doing king of the hill and i started doing that so i don't get hired to do much i'm doing a new one called tarantula with carson mel really talented guy um, and she's doing some voices here and there on that thing. That thing's great, you know. But it's because I knew him from before. And for King you know? of the Hill, did they pick both of your characters? Like, you want to do this, basically? They called. They called me up. I was living in New York, and Mike called me up, and he he asked me. We were talking about things, and and I didn't know that I was on speakerphone in L.A. and and um, mm-hmm. 
uh, he said, you know, any, uh, do you do any Asian voices? I went, uh, I don't know. And I just told him a story of some friends of mine that were coming across country, some Iowa guys in a uh, station wagon. Steve Higgins was one of the guys, him and his brother. <laughs> Steve's the announcer guy on the Fallon show. Oh, right, yeah. So Steve and Dave and um, this other guy, Mark Fight, were coming across, and they stopped at a little hotel, and they told me the story. So... Dave keeps wanting me to give him 10% of my uh, <laughs> of my King of the Hill earnings. I haven't gotten into doing that yet, fellow. Uh, but there was, they, they, it was like, it was for one person, it was, it was, you know, $27 the night. And if it was three guys, it'd be 44 bucks. And they were broke down, but they didn't have the extra whatever, 20 bucks. I'm like, this is crazy. So they sent Mark up alone to get a, to get a, uh, his name is Mark Fight, And they sent him up alone to get the, the room all sorted. I got the room, I got the key, and then Steve and Dave snuck up the back, and they went in the room, and they all slept, and Mark woke up, and, and there was an Asian guy behind the counter. That's the story. So the, the guy who had the motel was, in, was an Asian guy. And, and then the next morning, Mark woke up early and let himself out, and then even two other guys were sleeping, he starts banging on the door, going... He goes, Mr. Fight, you owe me $44. Mr. Fight, you owe me $44. Three boys in there. So he's telling the story, and... Uh, that's the story that I told over the phone to Mike Judge when I was. I said I don't do any Asian characters, but I told that story. <laughs> I think that worked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty for many years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then Cotton just came from somewhere. <laughs> just a yelling old Texan guy. Somewhere deep inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mike's one of those guys that if you look, his body works really amazing, and yeah. and. Idiocracy, sadly, is so happening. But they're doing some live screening—not some live, but some screenings of that thing. And uh, I think in Austin, and then I think they're doing like a limited release in certain cities. Oh, cool! Like in the next couple of weeks, yeah. Because it is perfect. Yep, it's so, yeah, very timely. It's so weird. <laughs> oh. Well, it didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, Mark, yeah. uh, 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 you know, Judge is a—he's a smart dude. Yeah, you know, he's really good. His satire is really. Pretty amazing, yeah. you know. He really took. I mean, office space, just like yeah. you know, fucking with office culture yeah, <laughs> to a huge standpoint. And pretty prescient too. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Well, let's, yeah. do, let's do first. We do this every okay. podcast. A different first from life. This uh, kind of ties into Halt and Catch Fire. Right. Uh, what was the first computer you ever had? I don't know. Some old gray uh, Mac laptop thing. Oh, a laptop first. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a computer till much after the. The folks were getting them. The boom? Yeah. <laughs> Probably in the late 90s I got my first one. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was yours, Vanessa? We had uh, an Apple. I remember the box coming to my house, the old with the green and, you know, the original, like, <laughs> joystick. The green screen? Yeah, uh, the black screen, the green letters. Right, yeah. You know, like a huge computer yeah. that I played uh, Space Quarks on and some other game. And it was so... I remember that box so well. It was like that old Mac box with the rainbow mm-hmm. apple. And um, I was a little kid, and we were opening it in the basement. I, You know, my sister and I had no concept of even what a computer was, but my dad was so excited about it. It's like a sweet, weird memory of him trying to explain, like, what a computer can be. And mm-hmm. I was just, like, kind of hoping we could watch cartoons on it. But you couldn't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was kind of a magical moment. And I still have that, like, Apple... It's maybe the first branding that's so imprinted on my brain. Like, I remember that, like, as if it was Christmas. But it was just, I guess, one of the first bigger purchases my family made. And they were really excited about it. 
Nice. How about nice. you? Mine was a, a Zenith IBM clone. So, like, you could buy, like, the knockoff PCs. So it was by Zenith. Right. And it was, you know, two disk drives, floppies. <laughs> Zenith. Uh, <laughs> well, you're in the computer game. Know, right? <laughs> Not for very long. Uh, 512K. Uh, yeah, you know, DOS. A lot of K. Yeah, DOS-based prompts. Um, you would get games that would come on, like, six floppies. Like oh, yeah. King's Quest, like right, the Sierra yeah. games. Uh, There's a Roger Rabbit game I played on floppies. I had a Reader Rabbit game. I remember that. I remember Reader yeah. Rabbit, yeah. But yeah, that was that was definitely the first one. And uh, we had How old were you? Do you remember? Uh, it was probably like mid-80s. So, yeah, I was probably like eight or nine. I think I was like it. five. It made such a big impression on me. I mean, we had a computer lab at school that had mm-hmm. them before that. I mean, it wasn't much of a lab. There was like ten shitty, <laughs> ten zeniths, right. ten shitty IBMs <laughs> that you'd go in and you could use to like type up reports if you wanted. But mostly, you would just go in to play like the handful of games that they allowed you—the education right. games, the typing games to you know teach you to type. <laughs> typing games, man, that was a great. It was thing. a simpler it's time. Nice <laughs> typing game. I got pretty fast at typing off of like blowing up like asteroids as they came towards yeah. you. Yeah. Like that was yeah. the way to do it. And yeah, there's some math games too that, like, even though I was terrible at math, I like them because they're like puzzle math games. It would be like, you know, this like a king thing. Yeah. You got to figure out how to beat him using equations or whatever. And I'm still terrible at math. I never got any better, but I was good at those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't know why. Uh, well, let's do uh, let's do the build a movie. Okay. We do these most podcasts uh, together. We're gonna build a movie. We can add pieces to it. There's no. Um, uh, it can be any time period. Like Humphrey Bogart could be in it with Miley Cyrus. It doesn't matter. Anything through time. No budget constraints. Uh, anybody can direct it or whatever. We thought it would be fun to build an arty spinoff movie um, as if Nickelodeon has decided to greenlight one where we take Artie on the road someplace. Right. So I'm thinking we're, we'll call it Artie Explores the World. Does it has have to be for Nickelodeon or could it be? It could be for like they're, they're producing it because okay, they right. would, but it can be for cinemas. It can be for, it to be a dark Netflix show. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm About a, interested in. Yeah. A guy on the run. <laughs> yeah. The darker side. He's on the run guy. Yeah. I think that the pen, you know, the cops are after him. They don't have any information. He's done something awful, but, but you just have to believe he's done something awful because <laughs> that's how he dresses in regular life. And he runs around with his wingtips and his type, with it's a lot of clothes. children. Yeah, with the kids. So <laughs> they want to believe. And the, and he's crucified in the end. They crucify him. <gasps> yeah. Like, it's really yeah. dark. Yeah, Artie's crucified. The crucifixion of Artie. I think that'd be great. All right. Oh, I think yeah. the kids would love it. The old Pete and Pete fans are going to show up for yeah. it. We've got to get like... Um, Gotta get like Mel Gibson involved in the producer capacity. He could also be part one of the leaders of the police force that crucifies you. Yeah, yeah. He needs yeah, all right. Work. So Mel Gibson's what the chief who's like, you guys gotta get Artie. And he's got a personal vendetta against Artie. Pontius Pilot, it could be Randy Pilot. <laughs> one of the pilot families. <laughs> I like Terry Pilot. Terry Pilot. Uh, TP, for yeah. sure. The cops that are going after him are Iggy Pop plays one. Gotta get Iggy back. Oh, that's thing. nice. Yeah. Iggy'd have to be, as we'd put him as a defender, he's one of the guys who's, you know, he's a disciple of Artie. Yeah, so maybe he's within the cops, but he's tipping you off. Like he's a double agent, basically. He's Judas. There it is. But we like Judas this time, in this version. As a a lovable Judas. Judas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what else do you want to add to this, Vanessa? Or it could be like the Sand Pebbles, where someone... Where Artie is going through so much excruciating pain and torture, someone has to kill. So Iggy has to shoot him <laughs> oh, with a sniper rifle. 
And yeah. then Mel's like, it's not too late, and he still strings you up. Yeah, Mel has to die, of course. <laughs> Somehow he's some horrible, horrible death. But who would play Artie? I'm not going to play Artie. We need someone who's... Because Artie's probably... Yeah. I don't know. Because it, it, it's better stringing up a 33-year-old dude than a 50-year-old dude. Because a 50-year-old dude, you go, oh, yeah, a nice run. All right, Artie is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I oh. Think, I think he could do it. He would really be yeah, great. Yeah, maybe. He'd be great. He could Joseph do it. Gordon-Levitt could do it. Put some glasses on him. Yep. He's a little bit too cute, though. A little bit. We'll yeah. rough him up. He's got to be. He's got to get. He's got to be a little weirder. Okay. Is he weird? I think he's I, maybe a fake weird. I, I don't think he wants weird. to be I don't, weird. I don't buy he that wants weird. to be. He would love to be weird. He's not spectrum enough. But right. who's weirder? That's popular. Yeah, that's the thing. That's you can't. You can't go with the popular. Yeah. You got to go with a weirdo, an outlier. You know, you got to go with. Uh, Maybe. Crispin Glover's way too old. Dum Dum McGee, yeah, yeah, he's way too old. Well, maybe um, this is a casting discovery. Maybe we break someone's career with this role. Yeah, yeah some okay. little weirdo. That's an unknown that yeah. just destroyed. Oh, we it. can have a national like a search for Artie, and you just go to all the like when everyone else is eating lunch. Oh no, they're too young. I was going to say the kids that are hanging out in the library while everyone else is eating lunch. That's where you're going to find your Artie. But that's but that's all the kids anymore. You know, they're all hanging out in the library. Yeah, all the new kids, all those new kids that have, 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 you know, codified their their autistic sort of. I've got I'm fine. Outside (laughs) autism stance. (laughs) I'm a little weird. I don't know if you. That's my thing. Yeah, and I got a whole million people exactly like me. Yeah. All right, so we so the arty is unknown, but we got to put you in there somewhere in some different part. Yeah, because people would. Riot if you didn't make an appearance. In Maybe some you're way. an outraged yeah. father of one of his children disciples. Yeah. This is a dark film. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be dark. You, you know, it's got to be dark because the old Artie was too too light. That's right. Yeah. Or Pete and Peter, we probably we could get those two oh, guys, Danny and Michael, that would be to play good. themselves in it. Yeah. yeah, two hobos. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe I show up in their hobo scene where they try to kill Artie and eat him. Okay, I like and it. end up killing and eating someone else instead. That's nice. On a train, <laughs> <laughs> headed, headed into yeah. the great nowhere, and that's the beginning of the spinoff movie. Yeah. Like we after. Artie's death. Uh, the next thing is like a Pete and Pete on the tracks adventure, the hobo style. Yeah, but they're yeah. old. They're, they're old and now. scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and lecherous. <laughs> the old hobo Pete and Pete. Movie. Well, they're cannibals now. <laughs> they're unashamed that cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> Open cannibals. But they've co-opted their outsider autistic status, so it's sort of legitimate because we don't want to upset them by telling them no. Right. Yeah, we couldn't. Because it's their no, thing. No, it's part of them. Yeah. Their special needs. And also they're going after the... <laughs> the flesh of men. They only eat the men that are deserving of death. Mm. <laughs> that was what no. slower that was their initial justification. They, they kill a really good governor and they eat him. He's he's done a lot of great there's a Bob lot of Forehead? great work he's done with homeless folk. No, Bob Forehead is one that they would eat too sinewy. They would never eat Bob Forehead. <laughs> they would go after a good they would go after a good you know what they might want to eat? Plump governor. They might want to murder and eat Elizabeth Warren. Oh, <gasps> She's done so much good. How ironic would that be that yeah. she's eaten by hobos? That's the way. 
That's, what a way to go. Yeah, Liz. <laughs> by Pete and Pete. I mean, we can but make, before we could, she goes, she's going to do some perfect tweets as they're dismantling. Oh, you could change your Wikipedia page, put that on there, Liz, if it happens. Exactly. You know? <laughs> It'll stay up for like exactly. six hours. But Poor you know, Liz Pete and by All right, hobos. Pete. All right, Pete, lefty ideology. <laughs> oh, oh, my man. gosh. I think we have a film. Uh, yes. Yeah. VST, your questions. Okay, these are just some questions. Have you ever met an Olsen twin? Oh, no, I haven't. But I'd like to. They're really, they're like little exactly. dirty lizards. Little rich lizard ladies. <laughs> they're dirty lizards. God damn, it'd be nice to run across one of them. Put them in a little a terrarium for a day. Oh, I want to run up across them no. somewhere dark. I want them buying fingernails at in the morning at a, at a gas station in Kansas. I feel like you're the, the first person who's understood here? me with the, the question. Yeah. That's exactly it. These little critters. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Well, maybe one of us will get to do that. Um, okay. This is a sort of, you know, imagine uh, <laughs> if you get granted to go on a spring break trip, whatever that looks like in your head, as either of the characters you've played in the Reno 911 universe. All right. Which character would you be and where would you go on spring break as them? Well, I think it goes Big, Big Mike. Question. That's the... Yeah, that's just too fun. And then maybe um, Germany. Oh, yeah. he's going to have a great time. He'd like to go to Dusseldorf. <laughs> really good on a, on a recruitment trip. Um, now, okay, if you could be the nobility of any land formation, but not the king of the hill. What would you be? <laughs> That's a, you know, you really worked that question, like that, didn't you? You really worked that. Question I don't even know if it counts as a question. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't really count it's more of a just a pondering moment. <laughs> yeah. well, if I could be the nobility of any land form, yeah. My example. Oh, would, you mean instead of King of the Hill, Prince of Tides or something? Yes, like that. Duke yeah. of the Ditch. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, come on. You know. You know. You've you, thought you about are, this. You've, already, you've obviously already thought five different things. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you have it. Oh, gosh. Too bad. If you think of something later, just let us know. Yeah, okay? Yeah. This is really important. This is your final one. All right. You have angered a wizard, and he's giving you an option between two punishments. Ugh. Ugh? <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Oh, you're like, okay. you are mad that you've angered the wizard? No, no, no. Just the wizard question. Oh, God. <laughs> you are a piece of work. Either you have to wear right. the Hardy costume every day for the rest of your life, forever mm-hmm. and ever. Or you have to go to a karaoke bar every night and do a Sinatra cover forever and ever. I, I think it'd be... Uh, there's less... Uh, my... Testicles are less constricted mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm wearing a suit. Okay. So I think I'd go with, with the karaoke oh. thing. I thought you liked yeah. them to be constricted. Okay. No. I, yeah, that's the opposite. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's up to you. Yeah. You'll find out if it's a good choice. Because that old days. wizard. He's coming for oh, you, buddy. <laughs> then, then you could change like a king of the hill to whatever you pick here. Oh yeah, once you duke of the ditch, whatever it's yeah. going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you made it all the way through, Toby. Um, thanks for coming. Sure. Uh, yeah. You can uh, like uh, halt and catch fire season three. It's still happening. It's still yeah. happening. It's a really great show. Episodes left. Thanks. It's awesome. A couple episodes left. That's on uh, AMC. 
American they make good movie. shows. Classics. American movie classics, right? Yeah, I that's what it stands for. <laughs> I haven't said that in a weird long little, time. Weird little channel those people are. Yeah, I tell you, right? Yeah. So check that out. Um, yeah. You're also on Twitter at Toby Huss. Yeah. Uh, we're on there as well. I'm at Cole Stratton. I'm at Vanessa Ratland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being here, Toby. Sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>